Well, good morning. Good morning. I greet you with the mighty words of Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey. You don't have to do that, Chad. It was my time right then, and he stole it from me. So, thanks. It's our time, Mr. Hand. Remember that? Well, okay, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> hey, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming out today. I, I, we gave out aspirin to the 9 o'clock crew, but you guys just get coffee, and so that's okay. So apparently you are the ones that stayed up later. So that's all right. <laughs> Anybody see Mariah Carey? Wow. <laughs> it could happen to anybody. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> that was like, drop the mic. Yeah. I love that. I've watched it on YouTube a thousand. I'm like, yes. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. So here we are, 2017, man. We're back again. And um, we're just going to get down to business and cut through all the nonsense. And you know how we do. You know, we're just going to talk truth. Um, I want to talk about brokenness, all right, because one of the things about being a pastor, and Buddy and Gay will tell you, anybody, it's like, when you start a conversation with somebody, it's going to go one of two ways, you know what I'm saying? As soon as you tell them what you do, it's either, like, think you're a priest, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, let me tell you, you know, and then you get the little divider going and the whole deal, or they just give you the stiff arm and quickly evacuate, um, but a lot of times, I, I get this phrase over and over again. I hear it in conversations as I'm walking around sometimes, um, just wherever. It's, I'm so broken, just so broken. And, and honestly, in reflection, I hear it from youth a lot. Like the, the, the Jesus movement that's kind of swelling through the youth. You, you'll go to these gatherings, maybe thousands and thousands, and They'll, they'll be on the stage and they're worshiping and they'll say, aren't we just so broken? We're just such a broken people. And it, it, it's depressing to me. And so I started really thinking about that all year. I mean, how convenient, man. We got a building action going on down here. It's like <laughs> Legoland. I'm digging it. It's, it's just depressing to me. And so I started thinking about it. I'm like, why are we all so broken? I mean, what, what are we saying? When we say that, like, what are we really saying? I'm so broken. And so I think as we talk, we need to frame a little bit what we're talking about. So brokenness. I'm not, when I say brokenness, I'm not referring to the prideful heart of man that shakes their fist at God, that then encounters God, and, and this, this crusty heart is kind of broken away, and, and we become soft and pliable before the Lord. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm not referring to the stubborn person whose will becomes broken and is open to the movements of the Holy Spirit. That's a miracle. And, and that's true because I'm here. I mean, any of the staff will tell you I'm the most stubborn person besides Mike Anderson anywhere in the church, right? I, sorry, Mike, I could, I just, you're right there, man, under the spotlight. I, I mean, I'm stubborn, I'm selfish. And, you know, like I did the last service, I, I will admit on the stage that I've never done in an actual meeting with any of the staff, I'm wrong a lot, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which just so stubborn. But that's not what I'm talking about when a stubborn person, you know, falls on their knees before the Lord. That's not what I mean. I'm referring to the brokenness when, when the, as the Hebrews describe it, 
uh, in Exodus 6, 9, the Bible says Moses spoke to the people, but they did not listen because of their broken spirit. Their broken spirit. You see, people get themselves caught in circumstances and they're in places in their life and they're in bondage. They're in slavery. We're in a place that we have walked ourselves into, if we're honest. And we're so assaulted, we just can't hear the things of the Lord. We're broken. Our spirits are crushed. It reminds me of watching videos of the concentration camps in World War II. If you've ever seen any of the videos, they're horrific. But the most horrific part of the videos are not the gas chambers and the, and the furnaces. It's the eyes of the people behind the fences that are broken and lifeless. So it is this brokenness that I want to talk about today. It's this brokenness that I think that we need to really talk about. Because if, if we are saved, if we're Christians, are we really broken? See, God's antidote for grief and anguish, this Hebrew word for brokenness is kotzer. Kotzer means deep grief and anguish. God's antidote for that is hope. Now, if you've been here, some of you, I see your faces, I've been here just over 10 years now. Some of you have been here for 20 years. For 21 years, you could say what you want about Salem Fields, but one thing is true and it's always been true from this stage and from that, whatever you want to call it, narthex. I forget it every time. I've, trust me, that was a, I've messed that up many times. Out there, the Rubicon, there, here, classrooms, whatever, online, whatever, you'll hear the same message of hope over and over and over again. Because it is God's antidote for grief and pain. So here we are, broken, in the midst of God's hope. That doesn't add up to me. There's something distinctly wrong if we can say that we're in relationship with God and we're broken. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. But also, not alone do we need to know what brokenness means, we need to know who God is. There's no way I could stand up here for a solid week, 24 hours a day, talking about the attributes of God, and I wouldn't even scratch the surface. But I am going to go over a few with you. Because there's certain aspects of God's character that I think if, unless we know that, we need to, to, to frame where we stand in relation to God. First, God is indescribable, creator of all things, including time and space. God is indescribable. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. God made everything. God holds everything. Anything you can conceive of, dream of, think of, view, look in a telescope, wonder about, God holds in the palm of his hand. It's as if nothing to who and what he is. God is indescribably immense. And eternal. All of these things baffle the human mind. But this is who God is. The Bible describes God as standing outside of time. 
He doesn't experience time. That's who God is. God is not standing with his hat in his hand, nervously hoping for a yes from you and me. A.W. Tozer, who's one of my favorite authors, and I'll read it because he says it so eloquently. He says, you see, to tell a man to accept Christ, while it is relatively right, it yet, if not carefully explained, makes Jesus Christ to stand hat in hand, waiting on my pleasure, neatly awaiting my verdict on him. It makes him apply to me instead of my applying to him. It permits me to accept Christ by an impulse of the mind or my emotions and accept him painlessly and at no cost and no inconvenience. Pardon me while I take these off. We have the audacity to say, are we going to accept the creator and sustainer of the universe into our lives? Can you believe that we, finite, fleshly human beings, have the audacity to point at God and say, stand outside like a beggar with his hat in his hand, hoping that maybe we'll throw a coin in there? As if God awaits on pins and needles, what we're going to do and say. That's backwards. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a, in, a, in a society as Americans and Westerners and as people today that we think we're our own gods. We love to rule our little fleshly kingdom and try to impose our will on other folks too. But if we can't do that, at least we got our own little kingdom to rule. And we're our own gods. We sit on our own throne and we dictate to the world the way things are going to be. And we really truly believe that God is standing outside, hoping, peeking in the window of our hearts, saying, man, which, if you just let me in, man, that'd be so great. It's cold out here, man. <laughs> Sorry, he's not. That's not the creator and sustainer of the universe. It is, in fact, by the precious, holy, blood of Jesus Christ that we even can enter into the thought process of salvation. It is by the sacrifice of God himself that you and I can even walk into the throne room of God and possibly approach him in any way without falling dead because he is perfect. How dare us stand and make God wait to say, maybe I'll accept you, maybe I'm not. Maybe you should and I should get it right. What a privilege to enter into his presence this morning and any morning. But we, we get it twisted. God's holy love and deserving of incalculable praise and honor. God deserves more than praise than we could ever utter from this stage or from those chairs because he's perfect and holy. We don't understand love. We say we love our children and we love Big Macs in the same breath. You, we don't know what we're talking about. Big Macs are delicious. <laughs> and children are irritating. I get it. Look, man, we absolutely have no concept of the truth of sacrificial love, which is why we struggle with the conception of who God is. 
because we don't understand that God is the fundamental of love and deserving of more praise and honor than we could possibly utter in a million lifetimes. God is not in belief and in need of our belief or a peace accord with mankind to exist. In the ancient times, the Greeks and the Romans and many other cultures believed that the gods existed on the belief of the backs of men. Basically, as we believed in gods, they existed. The less we believed, the less power they had. So the gods would make bad things happen so that we needed them. The more we needed them, the more power they had. Doesn't that sound crazy? That's what we do today. People who reject the existence of God simply say he's just a crutch invented by you because your human mind can't logically accept what's going on in the universe, the natural order of things. So you make up the supreme power based on your belief. God only exists in your belief. Let me shock you with this fact. God doesn't need you or I at all. His existence has zero to do with you or I. Our existence has everything to do with him. He doesn't need us at all. Whether we believe or we don't believe is truly irrelevant to who God is. That's impressive. God's not standing up there biting his nails. I hope they believe. Oh, I sure hope that they believe in me today because I'm fading quick like that Santa Claus movie. The, the, the ho-ho-ho meter is falling and I can't fly my sled. You know, I, I need believe. Everybody sing a carol. You know what I'm saying? God doesn't wait on us to sing worship music so he's got enough energy to stand up. You know what I mean? He is beyond all of that. He is holy, which should terrify you and I. But he's gracious and loving which should make us fall to our knees and weep for joy. But yet, somehow we're stuck in the middle. God's not trapped in the present waiting on our verdict either. God's not stuck here wondering what's going to happen. God is outside of our time. He is in your past, he is here right now, and he's in the future. I said this last service, listening to that song, whether Grace sings it or anybody else sings it, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. I don't know about you, but every single time I feel that in the back of my mind, my neck tingles. I feel the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder saying, I am here now. But he's also there now. And he's tomorrow and the next day while we're still here. You see, God knows where you're going already. and He knows where you've been. There's no secrets on this timeline for us because he's outside of it. You're probably wondering, like, why? what is all this about? We need to understand who God is and who we are because I refuse to believe that the God who created everything and stands outside of our time domain and sustains all things in the palm of his hand can save you but can't heal you. Are you kidding me? This is the God that we presume to worship and we walk around broken like a piece of pottery that's been smashed and God just lovingly holds us in his lap, useless, 
in one breath, we say, thank you for your salvation. I want to be used by you, but I'm so broken. When's the last time you guys went home and smashed a glass and then poured water on top of it, hoping that it would hold the water? You don't do it. Are we saying that God's not powerful enough to heal us and remake us and make us useful? Really, that takes a lot of faith. Because the Bible I read tells me that God can do anything. So if I'm broken, it ain't God who did it, it's me. It's my choice. So let's read Luke 15, one of the greatest stories, a literary story ever told. If you don't even believe the Bible, it's still a fantastic story that Jesus ever told. I love it. Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In essence, in the Jewish culture, the son said, you're dead to me. Give me my money. Because the only time that kids got inheritance was when the parent died. So the, the boy walks up to his dad and said, you're dead to me. Give me my money. Pretty presumptuous. So he divided his property between the older son and the younger son. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the carob pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Oh, man, I lost my place. <laughs> uh, oh, there it is. <laughs> I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But... The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In this story, I believe that Jesus gives us four points to cure brokenness. If I can remember them, you can remember them. I made this about as easy as humanly possible because... My short-term memory is not working like it used to. So there's a wealth of information in this story. But the first thing that we find out here is you got to go or get up, get up. The first thing that the boy does is once his conscience is pricked and he realizes his circumstances, he got up. Now, let me rework this story for you. Let's, let's modernize this a little bit. So there's a, a boy who wasted all of his inheritance, runs away from home, and ends up feeding pigs, laying in a pigsty, covered in pig filth, eating what's left over of the pig's food. And one of the father's servants walks up to him and says, boy, can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can hear you. Boy, I'm from your father. You are. 
boy, your father's forgiven you. Oh, he has? Yes, your father's forgiven you of everything. Oh, thank the Lord. Boy, do you believe that your father has forgiven you? Yes, I believe it. Boy, do you accept that your father has forgiven you? Yes, I accept it. Boy, you're saved. See you later. And walks away. And the boy just lays in the filth, saved. Does that make sense to you? At what point in this story does the forgiveness and the salvation actually take effect? Does it make sense that the father forgives, saves this boy and leaves him in the pig filth? Not at all. You get up. See, the Holy Spirit's the servant of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes to each one of us as we lie in the muck in the filth. And I defy any of you to not remember what that was. If you have forgotten, then you better take a moment to remember it. Because each one of us at some point rolled around in the filth and the muck, eating the leftovers that the world had to give us. And the Holy Spirit comes to each one of us and taps us on the shoulder and says, Son, daughter... The Father's forgiven you. Do you believe this? Do you accept this? Now what? Get up. Verse 18, and he arose. He got up out of the filth. If you want to get out of this broken life that you might be stuck in in 2017, get up. Get up. Because rolling in the mud, in the muck, in the pig filth, nothing changes. Get up. Secondly, after you get up, get going. Get going. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. You see, the insanity that we have foisted upon ourselves is I'm saved by the almighty God and yet he leaves me in this filth. He has left me to roll in the pigsty. I can't get up. What do I do now? Go to him. You see, the phrase that's, that's key in this verse is he came to himself. This is a Jewish idiom. An idiom is a cultural phrase that would have meant something very specific to the people. When Jesus used the phrase, he came to himself, the idea was repentance. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is, I'm walking this way, I will turn and walk this way. It is a full change of direction. Because we are marching to hell, we accept Christ, and we walk towards God. Otherwise, we're still stuck here. It reminds me of the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Now, I quoted this in the last, I will be, open disclosure, I'm not advertising this movie, <laughs> okay? Because I've, you know, you ever done that in the past where you remember a movie like from back in the day when you didn't care about things and then like you're like, oh, it's hilarious and then you watch it again, you're like, oh man. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I forgot that every third word was bad. And so you're just like, I'm embarrassed of that. However, it is apropos at this moment. There is a scene in the movie 
when John Candy, um, they're driving down the, the, the highway and they both fall asleep, they cross over to the wrong side of the road and they're driving in oncoming traffic, right? And people are like, you're going the wrong way. After they wake up, they're like, how do they know where we're going? They don't know which way we're going, you know what I mean? At some point, the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, you're going the wrong way. So what do you do? Keep going? You stop. You get up, turn around, and go the other way. If you want to stop being broken, walk away from the brokenness. Leave the pigsty behind. Man, this is not rocket science, but I swear, we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle so mightily with just walking away. Why would you want to continue to roll in the filth? If you look at it on paper, seriously, isn't it insanity? I mean, it's insanity. Look around you at the people who have seized all that this world could possibly give them. They have arm wrestled life to the ground. They have everything you could possibly want and they still commit suicide. How is that possible if it fixes everything? I, I just don't get it. And yet, we just march on blindly like a bunch of lemmings. You got, you got to get up and you got to get going to God. Thirdly, get honest. Get honest. The son had nothing on his mind except how to approach the father. And what's the first thing that he says? Father... I have sinned against heaven and you. I have sinned. He doesn't blame his wife. He doesn't blame his kids. He doesn't blame his family. He doesn't blame his friends. He doesn't blame his crappy childhood. He doesn't blame the system. He doesn't blame Donald Trump or Barack Obama. He doesn't blame Syria. He doesn't blame ISIS. He doesn't blame anybody. He takes the blame himself. I have sinned. I did this. I took my inheritance. I spit in your face and I rolled with the pigs. I did this and I'm sorry. And I've come to make amends. I left it behind and I've come to you. Now, what's interesting about this is in his plan, he's got the little note cards in his pocket, I think. You know what I'm saying? He's, got the, he's like, all right, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. And his plan is, I've cashed in my sonship. I'm not a son anymore. I, I gave up the rights. I spent my inheritance. I spit in his face. It would be a miracle if he takes me back. But I just want to be a servant. Maybe I can earn my way back into the family. Maybe I can work my way back into the family. Isn't that just like us? I mean, we get to this point where we're like, okay, I will accept the fact that I've screwed up. All right. I'm man enough to tell you that I've made some mistakes and I've screwed up a little bit, but here's what I'll do. I'll make it right. Don't you worry, God. I will make this right, man. I will work this off. My fault. I'm going to work my way back into your good graces. Paul says in Ephesians, if you are that type of person, he says, it's grace that has saved you through faith, not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, 
Otherwise, anybody could boast about it. You see, it's our nature to once again take credit for our own salvation. But here's a secret, and this is one you can tell other people. It'll be our secret you can tell other people. You're not good enough to earn your salvation. You and I stink. God's holy. We're cooked already, man. Even one stupid little sin is enough to separate us eternally from God. Just one. That was like the last 10 minutes ago. You know what I'm saying? I got a few years of every 10 minutes. We'll never earn it. So once again, we're going to have to abdicate the throne of our life and let God be God because only God's precious, holy, pure blood is enough to save you and me. We have nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. It is by his grace and his invitation that we can even entertain the thought of salvation. So give it up. It's not going to happen. You absolutely cannot earn God's favor. I don't care how many good works you do. Mother Teresa on her best day couldn't even scratch the surface of God's grace. Nobody, but nobody is good enough. Only God himself was and is good enough. So, what happens in the story, though? This is so cool. He has this plan in place. He says, okay, I'm going to go and beg my father. I'm going to tell him I'm sorry, which, trust me, he was. I'm going to beg his forgiveness, and I'm going to work my way back into the family. So he gets his note cards out. He starts heading home, but his father sees him in the distance. That tells me that his father was checking out the window all the time, every day, wondering, man, is today the day he's coming back? What love! He had every right to just have this kid just be excommunicated. You see, in Jewish law, literally, the boy would have been excommunicated as a Jew from society because he sold himself as a slave to a Gentile, to a non-Jew, and he fed pigs. In, in, a, in the, the true legal and religious manner, he's not even a Jew anymore, let alone this kid's or this guy's son. But he's still looking out of the window. It's today the day. It's today the day. He sees him undignified as anything, pulls up his robe and runs to his son. But here's what's cool about it. The prepared speech comes out of the back pocket. Father, I have sinned against you and or heaven and you. Um, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's getting going right now. All the father had to hear, this is the I had you at hello or you had me at hello moment. You know what I mean? All the father had to hear was, I have sinned. I'm taking responsibility for what happened, and I'm sorry. Because the father stops him right there. Before you put your foot in your mouth, before you try to earn something that you'll never get, you already got it. Debt paid. Come on home. Come on home. Look, man. Wallowing with the pigs, that's our choice. But if you're done with that in 2017, I mean, if you've had enough 
of wallowing with the pigs and eating the slop the world has to give you, and you're tired of finally walking around with your slumped shoulders, oh, I'm just so broken. Man, please stop slapping God in the face, would you? Because it's embarrassing to the Lord to look at him and say, oh, how great thou art, except you can't get me out of this pigsty, can you? I beg to differ. We love to roll around in the pigsty. It's our choice. Get up. Get going. Get honest. And number four, don't look back. Don't look back. You know the story of Lot's wife, right? Remember that? Everyone loves that. I think it's an interesting story because you ever watch it on TV? It's like she's walking along and looks back and boom, salt time. You know what I'm saying? The angel says to them, get up, get out of here, get going because I'm getting ready to destroy this place and don't look back because you might get caught up in the destruction. It's not like, like the angel's sitting there saying, okay, if she turns her head 46 degrees, salt time, baby. What he's saying is simple. If you turn around and longingly look back at the destruction that was there, you're going to get caught up in it all over again. Don't look back. Your memory of what, of what happened then is enough. All you have to do is remember what it was like to wallow with the pigs. You don't have to look back at it longingly because if you do, it's going to snatch you up all over again. Don't look back. Man, when you start walking to God and you get honest with him, keep going. Because we're just a couple of bad choices from wallowing all over again. What insanity would drive us to want to do that all over again? Listen, I, I have nothing but the best at heart for us. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes because I've heard plenty of people throw the brokenness. I, look, man, you know how I am. I, I just, let's just be real. Either God is who he says he is or he's not. Either he is the eternal one who controls, sustains, holds, creates, and graces us, or he's not. Because he can't be that and unable to heal us. He can't be that and allow us to be these broken shards in his lap. He's calling you and I to hope and wholeness. And all we've got to do is get up and go. So the choice is yours. If you leave this place as broken as you walked in, you've chosen to. Because God's not doing it to you. Get up. Get out of that situation. Get going. Get honest with God and yourself. And don't look back. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and the hope that you bring, God. We have wallowed far too long. And God, I am so sorry if anything that we have said or done brings anything but honor and glory to you. Anything but that is worthless, God. And I freely admit in my own life, Lord, that I have not always shown your glory and your healing and your hope like I should have. And God, I have often turned back and looked at the destruction in my past, God, far too long. And so personally, God, I ask your forgiveness. 
And I ask for your strength and the anointing of your Holy Spirit, God, that we, my friends and I here today, Lord, those online and those that we're willing to have this conversation with would stop wallowing, get up and get out. Because God, I know that your eternal abundant grace awaits us. And you are willing to bring us home as sons and daughters of the King God, praise you beyond my breath. I trust you to do what is mighty and abundant, far exceeding my dreams and hopes. We commend and commit 2017 to you in the name of Jesus, amen. Worship with us. All these pieces broken and scattered See?